Well, we're talking about the ultimate taboo subject. And I have to say, we have gotten a little bit of controversy with our little set that we have here. Uh, The golden calf, which was uh, an idol that was created out of gold. Uh, The pot of gold, and uh, over here, the bars of gold. Because the ultimate taboo subject is money. Think about it. Can you come up to somebody you really don't know that well, or even somebody you do know well, and say, hey, by the way, how much did you make last year? Or, um, gee, what's your house worth? Well, they may not know now. I mean, it's definitely less than what it was. But even within the context of a marriage, oftentimes it is very, very difficult to talk about money. And uh, we, I read a poll this past week said that 70% of people who were, put in, who, were, who were questioned in this poll said that the number one stress in their life was due to money. Money can cause all kinds of problems. Now, let me clarify, not money itself, because there's nothing wrong with money. Money isn't bad. The Bible says absolutely nothing about money being bad or wrong or evil. But what it does clarify is that the wrong attitude or the wrong understanding about money is the root of all evil. Pretty contrasting statement there, isn't it? That, that uh, money in itself is fine. But if you love money, if you crave money, if you don't understand money the way God designed for you to understand it, then it will create in your life all kinds of destruction. All kinds of evils. I could show you that... Um, the abuse of money or the uh, wrong understanding, a, a, an understanding of money that is uh, not what the Bible says, will cause divorce. It'll create wave after wave of depression, guilt, suicide. In fact, we saw a huge spike or rise in suicide in 2008, if you remember story after story of people who lost everything in the collapse of the economy and committed suicide. Broken friendships and broken relationships, uh, business agreements broken and destroyed and ruined over uh, finances and money, Uh, broken, broken relationships between parents and children and family members over money and agreements on money. Stress. Everybody say stress. Stress can be enormous when it comes to finances. Crippling. Causing a person literally to not even be able to get out of bed in the morning as, because of the fear of money or the lack thereof. Greed. Addictions. I could go on and on and on describing how money can be incredibly destructive in our lives. And so the Bible lays out for us very clearly what our attitude should be about money. It says uh, how we should view money, how we should consider money, how we should manage money, how we should look at money. And so this morning I want to just take a few minutes, probably the next 15, 20 minutes, and talk to you about the biblical attitude of money 
and how Jesus taught that we should think about money. Because how you think about it is going to determine how it works in your life. Jesus said clearly, he said in John 10, 10, he said, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. I mean, that just laid out for you. That's what the devil is about. That's his purpose. You want to know what he's doing? He's doing that. Then he said, but I have come to give you the best life possible. So Jesus tells us what his purpose here is. I've come to the earth and there's only two. Really, you can boil it down to two things that Jesus was about. What he came to the earth for. And that was to provide you with a great life here on earth. An abundant life. A life filled with blessing, peace, prosperity. Having all that you need. I say it over and over that the best life possible is a life found of faith in Christ Jesus. And so that's what Jesus came to do. Second thing is in John three seventeen, Jesus said this, that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So Jesus is about two things. Helping us experience a great life now and also the opportunity for eternity later. That's a total package with the Lord Jesus. So, let me tell you this. You can't have either of those purposes without a right understanding of money. Money influences both of those things immensely. And Jesus knew it. That's why every third teaching or every third sermon that he gave was on money and possessions. And he said that you can know the condition of a man's heart by where his treasure is, by how he spends his money. You know the extent of somebody's ministry by how they handle their finances. It says an awful lot about a person. So we have to have a biblical view of finances. The first place to begin is with this simple principle. And if you have a pen, you can write this down. You know, we should provide paper for you, but but we didn't. We did? Hey, you got the back of that little thing. Okay, here's, here's this. Write this down. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. That's where it all begins. That's where the right mindset happens. In Psalm 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to God. So God owns everything. He owns your house. In fact, He owns your life. Paul said in Romans that you were bought with a price. That you don't belong to yourself. That you belong to God. And everything you own. Everything you have, what's in your wallet now, what's in your checking account right now, belongs to God. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. That's not right. Huh? I earned that money. I mean, I was there. I worked, you know, hard. My blood, sweat, and tears earned every penny of that. 
God didn't just drop that out of the sky for me. There was no free check in the mail. I went to work every day. I got up and I earned that. That's mine. That's my car. That's my big screen TV. It doesn't belong to God. Well, you know, I understand that. I understand that you would feel that way. But if you look at the scriptures, you see that that isn't the case at all. In the Old Testament, King David was building a temple for the Lord. And so he said to the people, let's gather all together, all the stuff that we have, silver and gold and precious gems and building materials and everything. Bring that and we'll build a temple for the Lord. He did that because God instructed him to do so. And so here he is. And listen to what this, what, this is in First Chronicles 29. Who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Speaking to God. Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. We are here for a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land of our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow. Gone so soon without a trace. O Lord our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you and it belongs to you. Everything on the earth is the Lord's. He gave you the ability to earn it. You know, think of it in terms of a bedroom, like a child's bedroom. My children have their own bedroom. It's theirs. But they only have it because I gave it to them and I say it's theirs. And really, I don't even own it. The bank does. Right? Because they could take it if they wanted to. I was at a, a ball game with my son. And uh, he wanted a box of Skittles. And so it was a little little box of Skittles, so I bought it for him. And uh, so he opened that thing up, and he's chowing down on the Skittles. And I thought, man, I'd, I kind of like to have some Skittles. So I said, hey, buddy, can I have some Skittles? And he said, no. And I thought, you little brat. I didn't say that to him, but I was thinking it. I was like, you rotten brat, you selfish and I, I didn't say anything. A few minutes go by, a few minutes go and I couldn't stand it anymore. And I said, you give me one. I bought those. Give me one. So I put out my hand, and I was expecting him to take the box and, you know, sprinkle half a dozen in my hand. No, no. He digs in there and finds the color he doesn't want. Pulls out one and puts it in my hand. I was ready to smack the kid. But you think about it, you think about it, that's exactly how we are with God. Exactly. Everything we have comes from Him. And are we going to be stingy with what He's given us? The Bible teaches us, second point here, is that God, He owns everything. And so, because He owns everything, that makes you and I a steward of his stuff. Matthew chapter 25, you can look at there. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like this. 
And then he told a story about guys who were given bags of money. They were entrusted with different bags of money and they were sent away to do with it for the master. And so that's where we get that word of stewardship. It literally means the keeper of the house. And so because God owns everything, we are then the steward of all that stuff. And so think about it. That really begs the question. If God owns everything and I am just the steward of all this stuff, how does he want me to spend it? I really want that to sink into your soul this morning. You think about that question. You got thousand bucks in your checking account how does he want you to spend that you're at the grocery store and you're just going through there you're plowing through there you're buying stuff buying this buying that with no thought to does god want me to buy all this stuff because he's the steward is it okay with him I think if you stopped and asked yourself that question every time you were going to make a big purchase, you wouldn't buy half the stuff you buy and wouldn't be in the trouble that you're in. If God owns everything and I'm the steward, what does he want me to do with all of his stuff? It's a great question, and guess what? The Bible answers it. Four basic principles you can see in Scripture on what God wants you to do with His stuff. And let me lay it out for you. The first one is this. God wants you to provide for your family with the stuff He's given you. That's number one. He wants you to provide for your family. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10 through 13. While we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are idle, living idle lives, refusing to work and muddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. This is an important principle, an important concept to understand because not everybody does. Do you know that God created you to be productive every day? Every day? Every day. That every single day of your life, God's purpose is that you would be productive. Now, Do you ever take a day off? Yes, you do. God accounted for a day of rest. Do you go on vacations occasionally? Yes, you do. Now here, I'm really going to step on some toes. How does that whole concept of retirement factor into this? I'll tell you honestly, folks, I can't find that in the Bible. You'll find anything there about retirement where in the sense that a person is no longer productive, sucking off the government, sucking off the church, sucking off their family and friends, and not being productive anymore. You know, it just isn't there. And so 
you wake up and you don't feel good or you don't feel like going to work, so you call in, you, you, you don't. Or you have an opportunity to work, but you don't take it because, ah, don't really need the money. That's not a biblical concept. The biblical concept is that we are to be productive and earn. And why? Go back to Matthew 25. Right? You're given a pot of gold. So you're given talents. You're given abilities. You're given a personality. You're given wisdom. You're given some information to use that to be productive for the king, for the kingdom of God, for God. And God expects all of us to be productive. Next one. That was the first one. Uh, Being productive. Two. Avoid debt as much as possible. God wants you, as a steward of his things, to avoid debt as much as possible. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. And boy, is that true. Does that mean you can't have any debt? No. No, I think that uh, sometimes you do need debt. For example, to buy a house or... But so many people become slaves to poverty because they use credit cards, they get buried into debt and personal loans and all these kind of things to get things they want now rather than waiting for it. Now, this is incredible. (laughs) It's incredible truth. I heard this my whole life, but not until I was absolutely dying did I start living this way. Don't be like me. Don't hear these words. Let it pass in one ear and out the other. It'll do nothing for you. Follow them and you will be blessed. Avoid debt as much as possible. If there's something that you want to buy, but you can't afford it, wait. Trust the Lord. Pray about it. Ask God to help you. Ask God to provide for you. And who knows, maybe after you've prayed about it a while, you won't want it anymore. But Americans in general have come underneath a horrible yoke of slavery because they don't have the money to buy it, but it doesn't matter. You can just charge it. That's the whole concept, is to get what you want even though you don't have the money. And the Bible says, if you're God's steward, you should not do that. Number three, save as much as you can. Proverbs 6 6 through 11, I don't have time to read all of that, but basically it's the principle of the ant. And the ant works every day, and the ant saves. And the Bible says that we should save, you're going to be a steward of God's money, you should save as much as possible, because you will need that someday. Number four, spend what you have wisely, back to Matthew 25. That just makes common sense, doesn't it? To use the resources that you have. The one who was wise with what he was given was given what? More. Yes, he was given more and blessed greatly for how he used it. Now, these four main principles 
Bible says this is how you should manage God's resources that he's given to you. And one day, Christian or not, you will give an account to him for how you managed it. Now, the Bible has a great deal to say about giving. It's a whole other category. You have these four principles. And then if you compare it as far as just sheer volume of, of scriptures and text, it far outweighs giving compared to those other four. Right? The other four mentioned, it's like God says, these are important, follow these principles, but now let me tell you about giving. In 2 Corinthians 8, it's basically a call to generosity. And Paul said, listen, Christians are generous. Everybody say generous. Why? Because of the cross. He says, the natural response to the cross of Christ, the enormous grace that God has given us, his mercy, his forgiveness, is to respond to that financially. To respond to that with a generosity of heart, of giving to God. And he says, give in three areas. Give to God directly through the church. Give to other Christians who are in need, second. And third, give to the poor. It doesn't matter where they are. Out in the world, in the church, doesn't matter. Those three things. Give to God through the church. Give to other Christians who are in need and give to the poor. Did you see it there? It says, uh, let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched by now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't. And this is an important principle It's proportional giving. Now, proportional giving, what that means is you give in proportion to what you have, not what you don't have. So God doesn't want you to give to the point where other people are really blessed and you're dying. He says, no, don't do that. Give in proportion. Now, it's easy to figure that out when you see a guy who's a multimillionaire and he has six mansions. Is he giving to himself proportionately? No. Obviously not. How can you enjoy six mansions? What do you spend uh, one month in one and you know cycle around and going to all your mansions and every other month? That's ridiculous. Even anybody can understand that. Look at Bill Gates. Bill Gates, I think, understands this principle and gives proportionately to what he has, right? If Bill Gates gave away a hundred bucks, what would you think? You greedy, stingy jerk. Because that's not even a penny. He bought uh, a Van Gogh. It was $30 million. And everybody was, oh, oh my gosh, Bill Gates, he's just, you know... That $30 million, you know what that equaled to in his scope of what he was, was, it was equal to you and I spending $300. So he's given away $8 billion so far because it's proportional, right? 
And that's clearly what we're learning here is given proportion. So some people say, well, uh, you should give 10%. Well, no, no. Don't give 10% if 10% is in the right proportion for you. Maybe it should be 50%. Or maybe it should be 3%. All right? Give in proportion to what you have. Don't violate the other principles, right? Because if you violate these other principles, you will have nothing. You will be poor and you will not be able to give anything. And not being able to give means not being able to sow and not being able to be blessed in return. So giving in balance is what we're learning here. Giving in balance. I want to show you a pie graph of our church. Now, this is our giving as a, as a, a group of, of followers of Christ and those who are, are, are with us who are still considering faith. And uh, go ahead and bring that up and show you. This is 2010. And it's broken down into four categories. In 2010, 42% of those in our fellowship gave absolutely zero. No giving whatsoever. 32% gave something. And uh, we just looked at those and, and just said, well, you know, that's anywhere from a dollar to several thousand. Okay? And that was 32%. Then there was uh, 21% of the church that attend here, call this their church, gave somewhere around 10% of their income. Now, we have no way of knowing what, you know, if it's exactly 10%, but we picked a number, and if it looked close, we put them in that category. And then 5% of the church are extravagant givers. These are people who give way beyond, way beyond uh, tithing. And so... So I, I look at that, and, and that, that tells us, that's like, uh, you know, if you're sick and you go to the doctor, they take a sample of your blood, right? And they look at that sample to see if there are other problems within your body. It's, it's a way to gauge your health. And I think this is a way to gauge our spiritual health as a, as a, as a body of believers. And it tells me that there's at least, what is that, um, 74%. 74% have not yet been set free in this area of finances. And for whatever reason, not either able to follow these, some of these principles, don't know these principles, aren't able to put them into practice, and therefore aren't able to give as perhaps they would like to. And so this is my goal for this whole series on taboo is to talk about this challenging subject and encourage you no matter where you are encourage you to move up one level so today maybe you're that person you're in that blue category and you've never given a cent to the lord i want to encourage you to start today start today give something Get out of that blue category and get into the red. All right? Give something. It doesn't matter what it is, but start. Start that process of, of honoring God with the resources he's given you. The people who are in the blue category are the people who said, no, you can't have any Skittles. They're all mine. 
And so as our as your loving shepherd, I'm saying, listen, bub. You can give God one Skittle. All right? And those of you who are in the red, you know, you've given, but it hasn't been proportional. It hasn't been in balance. I mean, here and there, if it, if it hits you right, if you think about it, if all the planets are aligned, you throw in 20 bucks. And I want to challenge you to begin to give the right portion in balance with everything else. You know, I gave you these little uh, booklets. It's a, it's a financial journal. And I really hope you've taken me to heart on that because that, that is huge. Okay. It is, it is, I cannot underestimate how important that is. Joy and I started ours like all of you last Sunday. And last night we went and tallied it all up and looked at it and analyzed it. And if there was anything there that surprised you, then you got a problem. (laughs) Okay. Whoa. I spent $800 on whatever, you know. You know, finding out where the money's going is the first step, you know, to, to, to being able to manage it. And to manage it well for the Lord. And so uh, if you haven't, if you didn't do it last week, you got the journal, but you just, you spaced or whatever, I encourage you, start this week. Do it this week. And those of you who did it last week, keep going. We're going to do this for 30 days, all right? We're going to write down. If you didn't get a journal, just go to Safeway, get a little notebook, write in there, today's date, everything you spend money on, and the amount, okay? And then at the end of the week, you tally that up. And it will show you how you're managing. Are you managing well or poorly? Are you thinking about everything you spend and saying, is this what God wants me to do with the money? So move along in the spectrum. If you're a tither, you give 10% like clockwork. It's easy because you've learned it. You've been there for a while. Let me challenge you to become extravagant. Challenge you to go beyond that. To become a sacrificial giver. To learn the joy, the incredible joy of being able to write out a thousand dollars. You know, you, some people think, well, I could never do that. I could never afford that. I mean, how do you do that? I tell you, it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to write out a check like that and bless a family or to bless the church. You know, this past week, the whole flat roof on this side of the building failed. And so water started pouring into the sanctuary on this side, uh, in the bathrooms over there. It's, we had problems here and there. It was dripping and causing problems. And this last week, it just gave up. It just said, forget it. And so now we have to replace that roof. It's going to cost thousands of dollars, somewhere around $3,000. We don't have the money. So if you're a tither, here's an opportunity to become extravagant. Pay for that. If God speaks to your heart about it and say, hey, I can, I can handle that. I can do that. It might be a stretch. It might be a challenge, but I can do that and take care of that need. There's a great joy in doing that. So this is, this is my hope is that no matter where you're at today, and there's no shame in this. There's no guilt. I'm not strong arming you at all. I'm just saying this, wherever you're at, move forward. Move forward. Take a step forward. Take a step of faith. Say to God, I'm going to get this area of my life right for your sake.